Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. We know that there are different levels of legal mischief. A crime can be an infraction, a misdemeanor, or a felony. Even someone's death can be the result of negligence, manslaughter, and three degrees of murder. This got me to thinking, is there a hierarchy when it comes to sin? Is God following some sort of heavenly classification list in his dealings with our transgressions? Let's ask Dr. Jennings for his thoughts on this matter. This program is sponsored by Come and Reason Ministries, and Dr. Jennings joins us via Skype. Well, my friend, can my sins be better or worse than your sins? And who decides? You know, I love that question because it exposes by the question the landscape through which people understand sin. Mm. And so the, the first question to ask is, what do we understand sin to be? Before we can answer the question about degrees of sin, you describe crimes. What do we understand sin to be? And sadly, sadly, many people believe sin is crime. They describe it as crime and a certain level of maturity. See it that way. I remember several years ago, I went to a high school, Christian high school, and I passed out some three by five cards and I asked the students to write down the, the answer to the question, what is sin? What is sin? And the answers that I got were quite interesting. High school students, Christian high school students doing something morally wrong or an act contrary to God, anything evil or unjust, something that brings us down. Here's one, bad stuff, <laughs> okay. a bad thing that Satan discovered and brought upon us, mm -hmm. not following the Ten Commandments, something to be forgiven. And then there were two answers that stood apart from all the rest, but most of the answers were very much along the line I just described, mm -hmm. but there were two answers that stood apart. And one answer, sin, was the absence of love, mm -hmm. and the other was being selfish, the opposite of God's character. Now, the majority of answers were going down the trail that you started our show on, and that is behavior. Yeah. Sin is deeds, doing bad stuff, breaking rules. The other two, though, was sin is a condition of heart or mind. Now, those are two different things. Now, now let's look at how Jesus, see if Jesus gave us some insight and see if we can't drill down to figure out what is the litmus test to tell the, the real difference here. But Jesus said in, in Matthew 5, you say if you commit adultery, bad act, you commit sin. But I say if you lust in your heart, uh, you say if you commit murder, bad act, you commit sin, but I say if you hate in your heart. So Jesus is, is exposing that they think sins are about the stuff you do. But Jesus is saying sin is actually not about the stuff you do. Sin is about the condition of the heart that leads to doing stuff. And so he teaches another place, from the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks, the good man brings forth good out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings forth evil of the evil stored up in him. In other words, the deeds or behaviors are merely manifestations of the condition of the heart. And it's the condition of the heart that is really the problem. So with that in mind, there's two ways to understand sin, and that is, which law lens are you looking through? Do you see God's law as creator, 
who builds reality, whose laws are the laws upon which reality are built, laws of health, laws of physics, but also the moral laws. That's how reality runs. Or do you see God running his universe no different than Caesar runs Rome or a government runs its human government? Make up rules and then police breaches in the rules and punish rule breakers. If that's how you see God's law, then you see sin as crime, as rule breaking, as behavioral. But if you see God's law as designer, then you see the behaviors as symptoms, symptoms, as Jesus was describing, of sickness of heart, of a condition of being out of harmony with love, of how God built things, of selfishness. And therefore, the symptoms would be like somebody with pneumonia, with fever, cough, and chill. We don't ignore them, but we realize just giving cough suppressants to stop coughs or aspirin for fever does not actually treat the problem, that we need to treat the underlying condition, and then the symptoms get better. That's the real gospel message that through Jesus Christ, we can have a new heart and right spirit. We can be reborn. We can have the law written in the heart, and then the behaviors change. But the traditional way of teaching about sin and the categories of sin is behavioral, and therefore people want legal adjustment. They want a payment made. They want some legal pardon made. They want some adjustment in a record book, and they remain just as corrupt and sick as the legalistic God-believers who crucified Christ. And so, Are there degrees of sin? Yes, there are, and we can unpack those in a second, but you will discover they fall into the two camps. Under the human law lens, the degrees of sin are always graded based on how much injury they cause other people. They're external sins. Murder, intentional, is worse than accidental involuntary manslaughter that you described, which is worse than assault, which is worse than slander. So we grade them based on the severity of damage to others. In the biblical way, though, as we understand reality, as we understand God's design, sin always damages the sinner first and others second. And so the worst sins in God's sight would be more like an occult malignancy. And so you think about two types of sickness, somebody with bad acne that looks really bad, and we've seen that scarring acne that people can have on their face, versus an occult cancer, a cancer that is not yet seen growing slowly in the body until it spreads through the body, and then by the time it's discovered, it's too late. Now, which one of those is more serious? Well, obviously, the occult malignancy is much more serious, but which one gets treated first? Which one does the community say, that person's got a problem and we should take care of it? Well, it's the bad acne. Well, that's the sins of the grosser sins, the addict, the the person with pornography or sexual sins, the prostitute. They're the ones who the Pharisees criticize. They're like the bad acne. They're the symptoms of people struggling with issues in their heart, and they act out in ways that are not healthy to them or others, but it's obvious and everybody sees it and leads to painful consequences, which often lead them to repentance or back to God sooner. But the occult malignancy is the sin of pride. It's the sin of arrogance. It's the sin of self-righteousness. It's the sin of keeping the rules and feeling good and looking down your nose at those gross sinners. Thank you, God, that I'm not like that publican and tax collector, the person praying in front of Jesus, the Bible describes. And so these sins are the more serious sins because they allow the person to feel they're perfectly healthy when they're still corrupt in character, selfish and hard-hearted, and therefore they don't see God for a solution. And so are there grades of sin? Yes, but most all of us miss it because we're looking through the wrong worldly law lens. You know, I just jotted down something here that, that came into my mind as I heard you talking. This is for us personally. 
When we sin, and most of us know when we do that, when we sin, we've already been damaged. I hear you saying that sin is the result of damage that has already happened in our heart. There's something wrong with us, and that sin is a symptom of something wrong. I'm right in saying that? You're right, but it doesn't stop there. We were born in sin, conceived in iniquity. So yeah. a better way to understand would be HIV-infected man and HIV-infected woman get together and have a child born HIV-infected. What did the child do wrong? Nothing. 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 The Bible says in Psalm 52, we're born in sin, conceived in iniquity. We were born with a condition we didn't choose. Now, that HIV-infected baby didn't do anything wrong, but still has a condition that without remedy will result in symptoms and eventual death. We are born with fear and selfishness in our heart rather than love and trust. And without treatment, without God's remedy, we will grow up and act in ways that are self-centered and exploitive of others to protect ourselves because we're afraid of not getting ours or exploitation unless we act sinfully. But it's all driven by the condition with which we're born, and these are symptoms of the condition. If that HIV-infected child grows up and there's a free remedy offered, and the child, as a, an adult, refuses that remedy, mm-hmm. while it wasn't their fault they have the condition, it's their fault they refuse the remedy, and they get worse and worse. So we aren't cast off by God, and we aren't condemned, if you will, for having the condition of sinfulness or even committing sins. It's inevitable we'll have sins in our life if we have a condition that leads to those behaviors, which we all do, without remedy, without Christ. It's inevitable. We have those. Those symptoms are what alert us that something is wrong. What we're cast off for is rejecting the remedy of Jesus Christ that gives us a new heart and a right spirit to love God and others more than self so we can live a life free of the control, not the free of the temptation, free of the control of fear and selfishness. Wow, I'm imagining in my mind here uh, that you know I was born in sin, I'm going to sin because I'm a sinner. Then along comes Jesus and his love, and like a wedge, it slams between that connection, the way I was born and the way I'm going to live. There's this Jesus wedge, this wedge of love that comes in and breaks that connection. Is that a good way of looking at it? I love that way of looking at it. And we do have to add, so we have these, this condition, it leads to symptoms. Those symptoms hurt us. They hurt others. They make us feel guilty. They give us shame. They sear our conscience. We spiral into depths of despair and depression and self-loathing without the grace of Christ, without the rebirth, without the new heart. So we are hardened or damaged by that the more we persist in it. So it's not just we have the condition. The condition itself is injurious to us. And then when we come to Christ, we need to remember that this isn't the Lord. I like the description you gave, slams in and gives us a new desires. That's right. But we are not instantly well because we have conditioned responses. We have Mm -hmm. habit patterns we've developed through years of sinful living. And so the way you should conceptualize it, you have bad pneumonia. And without treatment, you're on a path of death. We're we're dead in trespass and sin. Without God's treatment, we're on a path of death. But then we take an antibiotic. We didn't pay for the antibiotic. We didn't produce it. We didn't develop it. We simply accept the antibiotic freely offered to us. As soon as we start taking the antibiotic, we have left the path of death and we're on a path of life and healing now. Does that mean all the fevers have stopped and all the coughing up of phlegm has stopped? Or in fact, after starting the antibiotic for a period of time, more phlegm come up as the infection's breaking loose. Yes, yes. As we've come to Christ and we begin allowing his spirit to work in our lives, we actually can become aware of more shortcomings and more difficulties in our life because the Holy Spirit's bringing to our consciousness the areas in our life where we're out of harmony for us to bring to him 
so he can cure us or heal us from that. And over the course of time, we stop these shortcomings. So if we look at it simply behaviorally, oh, you're still coughing up a lot of phlegm and you call yourself a Christian? (laughs) Well, uh, you're still sinning. Okay. It's a ridiculous analogy. That's the human law model looking at, yes, I'm coughing up a lot of phlegm because I'm on my antibiotic and it's breaking it loose. Yes, I'm still struggling, but the Lord is not done with me yet. And through God's grace, I'll be victorious. Oh my, that is such good news for all of us slim coffers out there, those of us who have seen our life and said, this is not the way it should be. We need to be better than this. And we start that journey. And you have said often that, you know, what we're talking about here is a journey. It is something that takes time. But I think that we can rejoice even while we're coughing the phlegm if we know that the source of that coughing phlegm is we're learning and we're growing. Would I be right in saying that? No, that's exactly right. Yes. You keep coming back to Christ and there's growth and there's maturation and there's, and there's victory after victory and your character grows and your actual neurobiology changes. As you walk the path of God's direction in love for him and love for others and what's healthy and harmony with his laws for life, you know, how life is designed to operate, and stop activating those destructive pathways, over the course of time your brain circuits change and you develop habits that are healthy and it becomes easy to live, easy to live the healthier life. In fact, it becomes joyful. Think about just a simple example of exercising. Somebody who's not exercised, when they first start, it's painful, it hurts, you're short of breath, it doesn't feel good, you get body aches. But after you exercise a while and you get into your routines, you actually start looking forward to it. It feels good to exercise. You get endorphins. Your your mood elevates. And this is exactly what happens. But in the beginning, it can be uncomfortable and painful. And we also need to have that same type of outlook, not only for ourselves, but for others. We need to realize that that person over there coughing his own phlegm may be on the journey, and we need to be supportive of that and not condemning of that. I think that's a wonderful message you gave us, Dr. Jennings. Thank you so much. Thank you, Charles. Listener, we have a website for you, comeandreason.com. You will find many resources to help you on your journey. A lot of medicines there. I'm using little air quotes, medicines there to help you. As a matter of fact, there's a medicine there called The Remedy, which Dr. Jennings has made available. Go to the website, comeandreason.com, and find The Remedy, and you will find some very powerful, powerful antidotes to sin and aid on our journey as we're making those step-by-step movements toward Jesus and toward an understanding of Jesus. That's all at CommonReason.com. Common Reason Ministries is the sponsor of this program. Until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Dr. Tim Jennings wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together. Come and reason.